You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Funny story. I go, go in to film that scene uh, and I'm like, do a couple takes. And uh turns out my cousin is working there as a docent. Sure. <laughs> and she's like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's like, oh, hey, Amber, we're just uh, f- filming the, my, my, oh, you, you know, my, my, my show got picked up. <laughs> so, and so I'm there screaming uh, about, <laughs> about my balls and uh, mm-hmm. my, my perfectly bleached butthole you could eat off of, mwah, mama mia. <laughs> um, <laughs> So that was definitely like a grounding in that instance. I was like, uh, all right. So I, I am at home. I'm not just like in on location. I am yeah. I'm in the place where I grew up and my family lives here. Hello and welcome to Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Jesse David Fox. Each episode, a guest comes on to play a clip of one of their jokes and then discusses how, and more importantly, why they wrote it. Every week, I come on here and I'm like, I'm so happy this person is on, their work is so good, and blah, 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 blah. But compared to this week's guest, I think the work of every past guest on this show is trash, only suitable for the dump. Because this week, my guest is Sam Richardson, the co-star and co-creator of Detroiters, which is like seriously maybe my favorite comedy thing ever. It's like The Simpsons, Detroiters, end of list. You can see Sam this summer in The Tomorrow War, Werewolves Within, and the second season of I Think You Should Leave with Tim Robinson, though he's probably still best known for his five-season run on Veep as Richard Splett, aka the only nice person on that show. Still, Detroiters, which he worked on with his comedy soulmate Tim Robinson for two seasons on Comedy Central in the late 20-teens, was the time he really got to showcase his sense of humor in, in all of its fun, silly, smart, stupid, idealistic, generally warm brilliance. Uh, we're going to be talking about Detroiter Season 1, Episode 3, a.k.a. Sam the Man, an episode in which Sam, played by Sam, accidentally becomes a sex worker. This clip that we're about to play is how the episode starts. I'm so excited. So here is Sam Richardson. Uh, are you okay? Can you give me a hand? Yeah, sure. Okay. Oh, gosh. Ow. Okay. Hi. <laughs> I'm, I'm Sam. 
I'm Samantha. Um, my <laughs> friends call me Sam. So. <laughs> what a coincidence. My friends call me Samantha. Oh. <laughs> Sam! Sam! Tim's stomach is upset and he wants you to come rub his belly. Why don't you do it? He wants you. Tell him to bring the Verners. My guts are going nuts. And he wants you to bring a Verner. Yeah, I heard it. My guts are going nuts. Ah, I've, uh, I've got to go. Uh, my friend can't poop unless I rub his belly. Uh, I'll be right back if you... Uh, I, think, I think I'm gonna no. go. Okay. <laughs> it's probably a no-go. No okay. But, uh, okay. Ooh, you're with a lady! Shut up, Tim! <laughs> so WebMD says I have colitis. Turns out when I lost all that weight, I thought I was getting healthier. I was actually getting sick. So now I can't have milk, ice cream, cheese. Can't have yogurt. Dairy. Yeah, exactly, dairy. Can't have it. So Chrissy made me a dairy-free dinner last night. It was actually pretty good. God, I love her. Honestly, every day I wake up, I'm so thankful to have her. When are you gonna settle down, man? Can you help us settle a bet? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Excuse me. We're talking. Move it along. Thanks. Seriously, man, when are you gonna settle down? It's amazing. Yeah, Tim, I do want to meet somebody. Then what is stopping you? Hey, I like your shirt. That color looks great on you. Oh, oh so you just interrupt people? Is that your whole gig? You interrupt folks? We don't know who you are. <laughs> Later, dude. Seriously, why are you not settling down? Because of you, Tim! It is impossible to meet girls around you. Okay, that's insane. Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, I'm insane, man. Suit yourself, man, giving you advice. What if he's right? What if he is insane and I'm just a figment of his imagination? Oh, man. Oh, oh no. Oh, crap. Tell Sam the burners kicked in. Tim said to tell you the burner started working. Ah, that means I had to go home and dump. Everybody knows what that means. Yeah. Grown man can only poop at home. I can poop anywhere, anytime. Okay. I used to been drive with Vanessa. I am here with Sam Richardson. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> uh... We're, I'm so excited to talk about Detroiters. I know I said it before we recorded, but I feel like I want everyone else to hear. Uh, it's my favorite show, and I've been dying to just ask you about it. Um, but to, to start to frame it for people who, who uh, may not be familiar, or I feel like we should start with uh, the genesis of your and Tim's friendship. Um, and I know you first met when Tim was your teacher, I think, for Improv 101 at Second City Detroit. And I think I heard you say you were like 19 and he was a few years older. Um, mm -hmm. What were those early years like when you were first becoming friends? Can you think of a story or something that typified what your friendship was like? Uh, well, it was a lot of uh, shows, a lot of improv and a lot of drinking and a lot mm -hmm. of just hanging out. Uh, well, I was 19. Tim was 21, maybe 22. And uh, we became like friends very fast. He was my my level A teacher at yeah. Second City in the in the uh, night before conservatory. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we would do class, and then after we just like talk, and then we would go to the town pump, and mm -hmm. you know, 
uh, not like they had the strictest of uh, carding <laughs> policies there to begin with at that time, but we would <laughs> we would sneak in, and the whole idea, like how you would sneak into the bar, is that you would go in, sneak in really com- quickly because like Tim would distract the guy. I'd go mm-hmm. in, I'd buy a drink, and then talk to the doorman for a little bit, but with a drink in my hand. So then be like, oh, this guy's, <laughs> yeah. you know, charming there, and so like he associates me with like having a drink. So like then I'm good. And I used to be like the the way, um, but Tim and I would just like just always kind of just be up talking and like laughing throughout the night. Like I would always at my apartment, sundown to sun up, you know, uh, just for years and years of that. <laughs> Uh, we were both like very heavily into like Sinatra and then and those sort of like old. <laughs> I was expecting of, uh, that to be the thing you're going to say. You're really, we really, we really were. We really were. What about uh, Sinatra? Was, that he was so cool? Uh, they, it was so cool. And like that music was sort of like we were, we, we were both very much into Christmas is like kind of where that comes mm. from. And so like some of the best Christmas albums are like Rat Packy, you know, yeah. uh, Sinatra, uh, Dean Martin Christmas albums. So we uh, had this like shared love for that, which then like leads into, you know, uh, that sort of Rat Pack love, mm-hmm. love for those for all that genre of music or all that era of music and so that was like another touchstone like we, we would always like just you know talk about that and sort yeah. of things um and then yeah it was just like years of friendship from there we would write shows this theater called the plant ant theater which is mm-hmm. a city th- theater in detroit uh we did one show called the weekend which was like there were four of us in the show and it was like about like a, a, a camping weekend and it was like sort of like a very small black box theater, but like something mm-hmm. goes wrong. So like yeah. that. And we did another show called Jerks at Warp Speed, which was like a technical sort of like a space journey show where we're taking the audience on this journey mm-hmm. to like they were cargo and we're taking them to the new planet and all these things go wrong on the ship. But our friend Tommy Leroy built the ship. Uh, so there was like a screen and this was like in the late, this is like in the mid to like 2005, 2006, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to, yeah, 2005, probably. Uh, and and like a, I had a working captain's chair and everything. And Tim would play. Uh, I was a captain. Our friend Choxy was like the engineer. Mm-hmm. And our friend uh, Lauren was like the communications officer who couldn't uh, talk. So she would mime. Uh, but Tim was like played every other character. So yeah, like yeah, every yeah. time we would go to a, a different planet, Tim was like that alien. Mm-hmm. He was like uh, this little puppet. Uh, <laughs> he was the computer. So he yeah. like, did these million things. But, but like, you know, we wrote that show really over the course of like three days and then like ran that show for so long. But like we were just always around each other. And Tim yeah. moved to Chicago to join the touring company. And then I joined the touring company. So we moved to Chicago at the same time to join two different touring companies. Uh, and then we would hang out every day still when we could. Then we got hired to the main stage on the same day mm. uh, to do. And we wrote two shows together that we would write our shows together, uh, perform eight shows a week, six nights a week, uh, Tuesday wow. through Sunday. And then on Monday, we'd hang out so <laughs> just nonstop, nonstop. Uh <laughs> Then Tim moved to New York to do uh, SNL, uh, and I moved to, sh- to to L.A. 
Um, and I was like working on shows like The Office and, and mm. stuff like that. So like we were both like working and doing stuff. What would happen would be uh, I'd come to visit Tim and Tim, <laughs> Tim's wife, Heather, works from home. She's an engineer for Chrysler, an electrical engineer for Chrysler. So she like, works, oh, is wow. able to work from home. Uh, we'd hang out all night, come home. Tim would go, would go to bed. I would sleep on the couch. Then Heather would get up to go to work in the living room and we would mm -hmm. like tag, we would tag out. So I would then go sleep in the bed next to Tim and she would <laughs> take over the thing. <laughs> and that was just like kind of how we, we operated, you know? Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> from people I've talked to, even my experience, there's something of if when you meet a person who has a comedic sensibility like yours, it just feels like it's hard. I mean, like each person probably describes it differently. What was it like? To have it. I mean, you're just living your life and then you meet this sort of comedic soulmate. It's hard to describe because it's, it's, it's it, you're, you're right. Comedic soulmate, the person who completely like gets your every like your 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 slightest joke, like your half mm -hmm. jokes that person gets. Yeah. And, and you get theirs. And so like they're. Uh, uh, it's being fully understood and something that you kind of become com a comedian or funny because nobody understands you. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so there's a a beauty in like like it, uh, <laughs> he's my best friend, you know, truly in yeah. the world, like truly, I love him to death, and like I, I I can't even describe fully how much it means to like to know him and like to to watch the things that he does and like to, to I understand them yeah. at a level way past you know what i mean i know i know like every little morsel of those things mm -hmm. and i love it and i get it so, so it's an incredible thing and also to watch him become like this comedic icon uh and i'm like of course he is of course yeah, yeah, he's yeah. the funniest person in the world and like i'm the guy that every, I, so i'm not crazy so everybody gets it yeah uh, is it a thing where because so much of your career, both your careers coming up were intertwined that like you see his success partly as your own. You're like, yes, he's doing it. But like, that's a joke that that comes from our existence. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like that, that sort of like tone of bit is something we've been working on for a long time. And that sort of energy is something that we've played with for years and years, you know, and but but that's not to say like, I, I, I feel a huge stake in ownership of Tim's mm -hmm. success and not in the, the sake of, of like, Oh, Tim wouldn't be where he is without me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. It, but in that, like, Oh man, I've been invested in this for my entire like adult life, you know? Um, so the, the, um, I've heard you talk about how all along the way at the, those first few years, you always like, we'll do this, but we'll, oh, maybe one day we can come back and do something in Detroit, mm -hmm. set in Detroit. When yes. you're having those conversations, you know, what is it about Detroit that you wanted to convey about to people? Well, we would always get kind of frustrated and annoyed with the depiction of Detroit in most things where people would use it as a punchline uh, for sort of what's like the most you know, horrific place you mm -hmm. can go to or, 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 you know, sort of the idea of the most dilapidated, dangerous place is like you're naming Detroit just as an easy punchline and joke. Yeah. And like, I even still, I, I, I get visibly mad when people do that because it ignores the people there. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, and because like Detroit people, Detroiters are this, the most resilient and uh, charismatic and like wonderful people you can meet in the world, you know? So we were really wanted to shine 
a positive and like real, not even like realistic to say realistic way as in, as in like, you know, we, we made a comedy show and like, like yeah. a, a, a hyper, a, a, a non-realistic comedy <laughs> yeah. show. So you can't say that, that, but like we wanted to make it positive because Detroit isn't only, mm-hmm. you know, uh, car thieves and drug dealers, you know, but but if you look at depictions on on television, you think that that's all it is. It's only yeah. RoboCop the movie, you know. Uh, we were like Detroit deserves a fun comedy, and we we grew up there. We love we love it. So we yeah. would always be like, oh, it would be great to. We knew that we couldn't uh, make our careers the way we wanted to and still live in Detroit because like the opportunities just aren't there. But we mm-hmm. knew that we wanted to come back with something and do something and come back. Like, so not just like show back up and be like, yeah, but come back with something. And we would talk about that before we even left Detroit, you know, yeah. before we had any idea that we were really going to be able to do anything like that. <laughs> so when the opportunity came, it was like truly, I mean, we talk about this all the time. Remember when we would sit on the porch and talk about that? And like, yeah, I know. And then we start crying. But uh, <laughs> uh, is really something important to us to sort of do that do you do you feel like you know you you grew up splitting time between detroit and ghana uh where your mother's mm-hmm. from which i mean sure must have been complicated for a variety of reasons but do you feel yes. like it sort of gave you an outsider's perspective sometimes of like what was special about detroit where a person some people might have a harder time if they're if they weren't getting that perspective on it yeah i mean yes i, I do think that i have a sort of uh, micro and then macro view of Detroit, you know, from having my perspective be of growing up in Detroit and also in Africa. And even some thing, my perspective on Detroit, uh, like the makeup of Detroit uh, as, as it relates to mm-hmm. America, how the world views America versus mm-hmm. how the world views Detroit specifically uh, and race in Detroit, you know, how the city is, uh, uh, and like, like growing up other places in the world too, like so in, in like London to Ghana, that mm-hmm. we're in Ghana, everybody is black, and except for the people who are immigrants, the immigrants are white, you know. Uh, and of course, they they still though, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, the the amount of power they have there is still is not a parallel mm-hmm. in yeah, any yeah, means to to, <laughs> but. You know, in Africa, black is like, you're not like, oh, look at a black guy. Who yeah. says a black guy in Africa, unless you're in South Africa, but whatever. But in Detroit, it's also, the city is 75% black, you yeah. know? So having that appreciation for that or seeing that, or maybe even taking that for granted as a youth, it was something I could see, you know? And also, mind you, also, that was also very important for us to reflect that in the show. Yeah. So on the show, we made sure that it's 75, 80% black, like all the extras, the casting, it wasn't going to be, you know, uh, a white guy and a a black guy in the sea of like white people or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's Detroit, you know, and like every now and then bring a black, like, no, it's a, it's it's a black, Detroiters is a black show, (laughs) you know, that has Tim in it. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that was like very much on purpose. Yeah, like the family reunion episodes, I feel like that's the show. It's like it's Sam, exactly. his family, and then like a white guy enters it. Like Exactly. So often Tim is the is the weird one in the situation by being a white person. Exactly. And like and you and, and it's not like always the focus. It's not, it's not like, oh, look what this white person's doing. But yeah. it is that he is still learning because you know he's not and like to have him be my sister uh, have him be married to my sister it was like also a very conscious thing so like it ties it in so he is yeah. 
a member of the family. So he's yeah. not just a friend. He's my he's my brother-in-law. That's what, that's, yeah. what, that's something else about the, the show. So <laughs> yeah, you know, he he is in out he he's in our space, you know, mm-hmm. but he is also comfortable and belongs in that space. Yeah. That makes so, sense. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, um it is one of the more interesting aspects of just sort of like how your show how the show ended up talking about these those those things of just sort of it's and you'll still have Tim learning. There'll be situations where like Tim, there's like one time where um, the secretary was like, oh, Sam, you would have had such a hard time back then. And Tim be like, me too. I would also have a hard time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> like, oh, a little bit different. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I feel bad laughing at our own jokes. But <laughs> Sorry, that, that, I just, I just rewatched. I was funny. like, I forgot that joke. And that joke was really I funny. forgot that joke too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like blind. Bl- I mean, comedy is also in blind spots. You know, yeah, that's yeah. where it, like it exists. Like a person who's unaware of themselves, <laughs> and t- and Tim is that a lot in the show. Yeah. Um. So we talked about a little bit, but so you have this idea you want to do something about Detroit. Um. You, Jason Zdeikis meets you guys. He uses friends. Wants to do something about you guys as friends. So you have the friendship part, the Detroit part. How did that become a uh this show about? friendship this show about detroit well we knew that like like the i I think we we say like like a a sort of pitch on the show was sam and tim if they were half as lucky and twice as dumb Mm -hmm. you know so like that's so like how are they buddies and like how are they in so we we know that there's a friendship and like our friendship on detroiters is almost exactly our friendship in real life, you know? So we knew that that would be fertile mm-hmm. uh, land to sort of play and like a, a thing we can filter through. And like early on, they were they're very much trying to like ask us like, how are these guys different? Maybe they fight more. It's like, well, no, that's not what mm. this is. And trust me, it's, it is real. So like, even <laughs> yes. if we're making comedy, like trust us, we don't need to like be fighting over the fact, you know, we don't need to like in, insert conflict like that. That, you know, uh, you don't need like that, big conflict. It could be the don't small. Need, exactly. Yeah. yeah. They need to be on the same team navigating this world because they have the same point of view. And that way yeah. they can talk about that point of view together. They don't need a big internal conflict. They can yeah. deal with external conflicts. They even, they, they, they cause. Um, and, and so that like, so the idea was going to be that no matter what. And we're like, well, it's got to be Detroit. So Detroit's got to be the third character of this show. Uh, and we were trying to figure out these ways. Like at first, really early on, I think we were going to be parking lot attendants. So we we're going to mm-hmm. be like just two guys stacked together in like this small little booth and parking attendant. But then like we'd leave work and go on these adventures. But then you know, like I, th- we wanted it to be something that would like also occupy them. So we want we want a workplace that yeah. can also generate, you know, things to care about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, we didn't want to be TV writers or anything like that. Cause like, you know, our experience is in writing comedy, but you don't want to like, that's not a very Detroit thing as a comedy yeah, writer. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. you're know, writing a show about New York, you're writing a show about even Chicago or LA. Yeah. Sure. You can be a comedy writer because you're, th- you're thriving. We yeah. want these guys to be like blue collar in a way, you know, not that ad ad agencies are blue yeah, yeah. collar, but you know, they do work in the entitled with the auto industry. Yeah, yeah. So we're like, well, what if these are the guys who make local commercials? Because then it gives them something to aspire towards. Like they're they're low level, low rent. Mm-hmm. And then like they they want to hit the big times, which is like also very 
uh, very Detroit, you know, like, yeah. like doing, doing your work, like, like full of heart and like hoping to do more, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and then there's also the parallel to writing these commercials is like our way of write, being comedy writers. Cause then they're creatives, yeah, yeah. Who are, but who are creatives for hire. Uh, so like we kind of found that thing and it allowed us to, uh, draw from like our experiences writing and also being in Detroit and also mm-hmm. have it be, uh, an industrial sort of blue collar yeah, yeah. thing that they did. So you had a, you know, a small stable of writers, Amber Ruffin wrote the show, Michael Taylor on the show, mm-hmm. plus you two, plus the two co-creators, Zach Cannon and Joe Kelly. How, yeah. how are you building and then sort of writing episodes? Uh, so the four of us, me, Joe, Zach, and Tim, would really kind of be beating out sort of like story things, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Joe was like our most seasoned like uh, uh, sitcom writer. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, he'd, he'd worked, you know, on other shows like How I Met Your Mother and things like that. So he was the guy on the board, like a, a, a whiteboard. And we like just have these episode ideas and they kind of like write them out in like note cards and like sort of what are topics that we want to talk about or what, mm-hmm. that we want to do. And so the four of us was just like, kind of like kind of constantly meet and like kind of hit those uh, topics and like, see like what things can like all kind of fit into an episode. Or wh- which one of these ideas is like, a big enough thing mm-hmm. that that's what the episode will be about. And then like, we'll find a, a B story and even a C story within that. And like, or, or like in beating that thing out, like maybe we can find something in there that's like a bigger thing, but we would kind of just like then brainstorm in the, in the room and then just like sort of find all the beats of the thing. And like Tim and I would like act things out yeah, yeah. improvise them. You know, Zach would like just like pitch jokes and write jokes because Tim and Zach, you know, wrote together at SNL. Yeah. So that was a natural relationship there. Um, uh, so, you know, all that material for the most part generated in those things. And then when when we'd have other writers come in, they would come in like at some point in that mm-hmm. process and kind of like see where we were going with it. <coughs> Pardon me. Sure. Uh, sort of pitch and generate uh, things and jokes within that. Uh, and it, and it's not to say that like the writers didn't come in and like do a lot because they, they for sure did. But, you know, it was, it was sort of like a tornado that the four of us were like working in and then coming up with a lot of things and yeah, then, yeah. in the raw phase. And then like the next phase would be where everybody would come in and kind of like fix the story and mm-hmm. like sort of pitch like better jokes and like all those, sure. those sort of things. <laughs> so talk, talk to me about uh, Sam, the man, what was the kernel? How, what, how did it expand? Uh, how did we get sort of the, the over idea of what the, the episode was about? So Sam, the man is based on real life. Uh, I didn't become a pro in, in the episode. <laughs> oh, Sam be- sure. becomes a prostitute. Uh, by mistake, <laughs> but then like Sam loves the idea of love, so he kind of goes with it because he's in love with uh, this this congresswoman. But in real life, Tim and I, you know, Tim Tim is married to his high school sweetheart, uh, and I've known Tim, for, you know, since I I, I met I, I was in Tim's class when I was nineteen, but I met Tim when yeah. I was like sixteen, fifteen, yeah. you know. Um, but Tim is like the worst wingman in the world. Uh, we would do shows at Second City, and I was single. Tim's been, Tim had been married for years by then. Uh, this is like in the early, like like in like the 
late 2010, uh, like, like, so 2008 to 2012 was when we lived in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And from 2010 to 2012 was when we were on the main stage together. And so we would do the main stage shows. I was single. Uh, Tim was married. And we would go across the street to have drinks at Corcoran's uh, bar. And every now and then I would be there and girls would come up who had seen the show and like kind of like start so, so like flirt and kind of talk. And I, you know, I was like, hey, let's talk yeah, on the sure. flirt. And Tim would get so mad that they were being interrupted that he would like just send these people running. We're like, and it was like so frustrating. And I would scream at Tim all the time because he was like the worst wingman. <laughs> and he like would do it subconsciously. Yeah. But so they were like, well, that's that was like a thing about me and and Tim's so we like, like, let's just make that a kind of bullet point on something. So we took the idea that like so so very little massaging to make that yeah, an episode sure. in the episode we can like show that yeah so in the in the in the episode in the episode of sam the man duvet tim is just this repellent for any sort of uh romantic energy yeah. that comes towards sam uh so while the funny thing about that the that second scene is it's it's while he's giving you a speech about how you need to settle down. It's like, it's a, it truly is like a second city sketch. It's just purely yes. like, you gotta settle down. And then women come at him and was like, get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> Excuse me. You see people talking? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And it's, yeah, it's very, that, that, those moments are like very sketch like, because even like those sort of like parade of people, you have yeah. to kind of like ignore the idea like, as if I am such a catch that people are just like lining up in the window to like kind of talk to me. So you have to like heighten that so that you can get the, the notion mm-hmm. so you can collapse even scenically. So you don't have to show like, uh, I feel like 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 in other shows that would be like a montage yeah. that you'd see happen, whereas like a, just a bunch of opportunity you'd heighten that yeah. within it. We just like wanted it to be constant, steady stream, so that you could also have the joke of Tim saying, "You gotta sell down, man," and then like yeah, have yeah. these sort of thing, and it gets worse and, and worse with each one. Uh, <laughs> but you know, of course, with with that, you have to you have to kind of imagine me being more more attractive than real life. Oh, uh, you know, or, or or maybe there's people like finally just telling the truth about it. I think <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's what it is. I think it's that we're telling the truth about how attractive I am versus heightening it. I didn't think that it was weird that people were coming up to you. I mean, I did think I think for like five people in a row, <laughs> yeah. you know, that would be like two female friends both coming up to you, both to hypothetically hit on you was maybe <laughs> and for that type of bar, maybe not expected. I mean, yes. While while we're here, I think one question I, I was wondering is like, do you feel like, you know, especially in Tim's performance of it, and as we talk about Titan, do you feel like because it's based in reality, that allows it to feel grounded enough? I mean, like, it's a, do you feel like in general the show, you found ways to keep it grounded as you're being so broad, being so silly? Like, is that important? Do you feel like that's the thing you're che- checking on? I think I think that's sort of our our language of things is to be broad and big, but still have it like touch ground in some way like in i think you should leave you know these characters all these characters are like hugely i mean mike typically the ones i play on there are not grounded in any (laughs) way and and, and they're not supposed to be but tim's are usually even if they're screaming and going nuts and like making a a hard stance they're making a hard stance based on like a true emotional like response or like a, a a fear of being humiliated so then they try and go back into Mm -hmm. it so like it's all for a reason you know uh, and there's somebody doubling down on not wanting to look like an idiot. Uh, 
and then they and they, they, get, they just get whipped up and, and and carried away. So I think like even in that, so like so like that sketch. So then when we're doing it for narrative and story, I think it works even more in our favor. Yeah. Because then Tim can give me these problems, but the world around him and the world around us is, you know more realistic or, or, but then there are all those moments that we call them like hot beer moments in Detroit, yes. like in Detroit is where like somebody's like drinking a hot beer and like, that's something we made up, but it's a crazy thing. That's like a, a Simpsons well, joke almost. I, I was going to ask, cause there is a Simpsons joke in this seat. To me, that sounds like a Simpsons joke, which is <laughs> Tim says, um, Tim's getting in your way. And Tim says, you're insane. Cause you yell at him. And then he goes and you say, I guess I'm insane then. And you storm, storm off. And then Tim alone goes, what if he's right? And then, what if he is insane, and I'm just a figment of his imagination? Like that to me is a, that is a Simpsons joke. Correct? That's a Simpsons joke. You know, it's like a moment. It's that's like one of those like one moment where we kind of like go a little bit beyond the same. You know what I mean? But we can't like have any like we can't have story like rest on that. You know yeah. what I mean? So it has to be like the end of the joke, and it's like him kind of like tripping himself up because like it's him de- also dealing with this fight that I'm having with him. So, it, yes. so instead of him like um, internalizing that yes. moment and like, it being a, becoming a fight between me and him, he then absorbs that and then makes it something ridiculous and then it's gone. Yeah. If a person like Tim exists who is somehow this dumb but able to function in reality, <laughs> uh-huh. their way of deflecting conflict would be dumbizing it, whatever, whatever the opposite exactly. of intellectualizing. Exactly. So like that allows it to be like, yeah, I guess that's what he's doing. It's not just like, <laughs> what? What do you mean? Yeah. Exactly. Why would he be the imaginate? Anyway. Um, <laughs> so the other thing about the sort of the, the intro is, so instead of whatever you would normally be talking about in, in Chicago, be it maybe what the show is like, the running thread is Tim has, is, I guess, is constipated. He interrupts. And then um, after he has that, that hot beer joke, he leaves. Um, and then you say to the bartender, um, he has to go home to poop. And then the bartender very seriously says, I can poop anywhere, anytime. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, there's the, what do you like about poop jokes? This is, you know, what makes a good one? You know, wh- why is it this one? How did we get there? When you're like, okay, we need something to be what Tim's talking about. Oh, I know what it is. It's this. <laughs> Yeah. And that bartender is our friend Quentin Hicks, who we came up with at Second City as well. It was really funny. Um, but like that's sort of like so like a, a through line of poop jokes, like right? He's 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 like it, it, the episode starts out with him being constipated and like him yeah. needing to, me to help him go poo because we're so close. Uh and then like he gets he says, I've got colitis. Doctor says have colitis and like a serious problem, but we use it for jokes in this. <laughs> and, and sort of in that sort of moment where you're like the bartender, sometimes you know, typically in a sh- in a show, the bartender is either like the flat like springboard who you're like, if you're crazy, the bartender's like, get out of here, you 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 jamokes. But like our bartenders kind of help to pop a joke real quick. So yeah. if, if in that moment, I'm looking for for like a moment in a connection and like solace or not even solace, but you're like, you, you, <laughs> these sort of moments where like, like truth. And then like a person is ridiculous and you have to yeah. res- respond to that thing. That's sort of where that comes from. And, but then like also the, 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 the science <laughs> and math of like scatological humor mm-hmm. is, 
to me, I, a delicate but also important. Like, there's no funnier joke or thing than poop. Like, mm-hmm. we can we can intellectualize as much as we want to. The idea that this brown thing comes out of your butt and stinks, and you have to deal with it, and like you're ashamed of it. There's nothing funnier in the world. You know what I mean? And it makes a sound when it comes out, and sometimes the sound is just a sound, but it like reminds you of a thing, and this thing stinks like the poop. Like, it's just objectively funny you know what i mean and so as smart as we can get you will never get smarter than the idea of a fart being funny and poop being funny it is a concentrated shame yeah and and concentrated like the fragility of life the sort of like the i there's um a quote in the book denial of death where the author says uh we are gods with anuses like we live our (laughs) life like we are kings and then we have a little (laughs) room in our house where we like are like cattle. Yes. And then we kind of push a button and it leaves our house, you know, by this like intercorrected network of water tubes, mm-hmm. you know? But like, if that doesn't work, like, there's nothing funnier to me than like a cat who was like snooty and then he turns around and you just see its butthole. You know what I mean? I'm like, haha, there you go. Rug pull out from under you. I can see your entire anus, I can see your butt. Like as highfalutin and as much of a a majestic creature as you are, (laughs) there is your asshole, you know? Yes. There's like lowbrow poop humor that's like associated with like, um, like let's say Adam Sandler, even though I love Adam Sandler movies, but Mm -hmm. just like he's so like in when critics criticize these type of things, they uh, Adam Sandler epitomizes that partly because he's the most successful version of it. And then even there's like comedy snobs or like that. But then there's like the sophisticated version of like poop jokes, which is like what you guys are doing or like the Lonely <laughs> Island. And yes. to you, is there a difference? Like, do you feel like there's a distinction? What is it? How do you define it, if anything? Do you, or maybe there's no distinction. Uh, I mean, I think there is a distinction because like there, but but I, I don't, but I don't think it's as like clear as like, I, I think it's a scale, right? Yeah. Because I, I do consider that to be like a great equalizer. Yeah. You know, like it's because it, everybody does it and like you can you can focus on you can focus on it, you can not focus on it. I think when it ha- even when it happens in the Abbas Hamler thing, it happens to somebody who's trying to act like it doesn't exist. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's always what's funny about it is a is a highfalutin society man with a monocle in his eye who farts <laughs> and his tails flap up. Yeah. And then he tries to act like he didn't do it or he's angry at, about it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so like on whatever scale, even if it's Fraser and Fraser yeah. sits down and he fart in his chair farts, you know, but then like I'm I'm writing this right now. Yeah. Fraser sits Fra- down <laughs> and he farts and then he acts like it's a chair uh, <laughs> or it, or the whole episode he has to convince people that the chair farts. But mm-hmm. then you so but then that, that, that comedy is elevated because it's Fraser's accent that he's using. Yeah. So we so we're saying thought instead of fart, you know, so that works. Uh. <laughs> Maybe I mean it's possible. There's not. I mean, like I'll say the, the I've asked this question to a variety of people who do this type of do this type of thing. People uh, yeah. uh, and the closest I got was Scott Ackerman when I asked him, and he's he you know everyone I asked that's like like I like these movies, right? It's like I you know like mm-hmm. I asked Andy Samberg, and he's like I like Adam Sandler a lot. He's the reason I'm doing comedy. Yeah, exactly. But I think to Scott, he noticed that. Th- it is a little bit more of a twist on the traditional way you're getting that type of joke, maybe. Yes, and and I think I think, but about how how about this? Uh, I think it's all the same 
joke, mm. but it's how you get there. You're not expecting to get to a fart yep. joke in something else. You know what I mean? Uh, whereas like sort of part of the, uh, and, I, and I, I'm talking about, I love Adam Samson. I like, I grew up like he's yeah. part of what I like true. Everybody like, like if you, cause you feel like that's the thing we're conditioned to be like, Oh, a scatological joke is low brow. And like, what is low brow? And, 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 and even like all the, every brow, right. The low to yeah. mid to high, uh, but you you kind of come to expect it in those yeah. moments, and you can see where those moments are coming, yeah. and the, and it's delivered where it should be delivered, and the joke isn't the surprise of it; the joke is the execution of it. Yeah, you know, with for us, like it's it's got to be it's a surprise mm. and the execution, but like you, you know you you know you don't expect it to come because it's, it, it comes at you and like you're shocked by it. You know yes. what I mean? That is it is a that is a perfect way of putting it because it's like. It's like a pop song, right? If you do a really good mm -hmm. pop song, you people know the beats. You know you're going to do this, exactly, and it could be exactly. very satisfying. And you can do a much more complicated version that's still giving you pop hooks, but it's coming at a different angle. But ultimately, you're still mm -hmm. enjoying the experience that someone's singing a nice, catchy tune. Exactly. It's the same notes. You know what I mean? Yes. It's got a different beat behind it. This has been very this has been very satisfying for me. Thank you so much for of indulging course. this like 10-minute conversation about poop. Um, the uh so then oddly enough, this is the also Detroiters doesn't usually work this way, where it's like essentially you have a Simpsons like first act that's completely not exactly related to what the plot is, mm -hmm. but you don't do a lot. But this is one where it, it's actually the episode about you becoming a sex worker for a city council person. Um, yes. How did that get there? What did that represent? Once you realized you had the jumping off point of like, oh, T Tim's a bad wingman. Ultimately, we're like, oh, we're we. This episode's about something about Sam's character that we want to explore. How did how did you get mm -hmm. to where you were at with the that storyline? Uh, well, I think we wanted to do something about like, <laughs> like sort of like how politics in Detroit were are and like sort of corruption and like sort of like the sexual uh mm -hmm. not not even specifically sexual malfeasance that exists in like in in that world but yeah. just sort of the abuse of power and i feel that like it's easier to make uh not that you know, it's a very delicate moment. I'm trying to <laughs> sure. do, but it's like it's easier to do sex worker jokes if it's a guy because there's no danger there. But there, for 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 sure. But like, it, there's an innocence to Sam in the yes. in the in the world, and his and Sam is uh, a he. He's a, a a bachelor in the show, you know. So so he's he's kind of he's got like a lot of relationships over the course of whatever. But it's never uh, out of a sort. Of, it's all it's always innocent. It's always at a, yeah. a place of him being excited about the idea of love. You know what I mean? So we wanted to like heighten that with the idea that Tim is a terrible wingman. And so like, what is the trouble that Sam can get into mm. in that? Is is and so in that he finds this person uh, who he's into, but it's the, the scenario is that like now he's <laughs> uh, uh, he's he's in 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 a world uh, he, he he trips himself into a world that is not yes. at all what he thought he would be involved in, and then and then the, the second act is him denying that he's in that world. 
even though the evidence is very clear and he's even behaving as if he's in that world, yeah. but telling himself he's not. So like kind of the, we want to find sort of ways to have me or like to have Sam kind of really play. Cause he, the, the constant like catchphrase is like, I'm not cute. I'm sexy. So you get to see Sam have an excuse to make himself sexy, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> and why is that? Why is the epitome of sexy in the show monochrome suits? Monochrome, well, that's a Detroit thing. Okay. Mo- in, in Detroit, we love a monochrome, uh, monochrome suit. You know, same color shoes, same color hat, same color suit. So that's like a very Detroit thing. Yeah. Uh, like the old heads, you know, have their alligator shoes and the you know green shoes, green you know, and that's for church. That's for whatever. That's for Sunday. Yeah. So like that's Sam is like that like one step below wearing that hat. <laughs> so that is a Detroit. Now got it. That makes sense. Because yeah, because yeah, when Tim and Chrissy discuss it, he's just talking about the microbes. <laughs> he's just like microbes. <laughs> yeah. um, we'll be right back with more Sam Richardson. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from 26.2 Team Milk and their new docu-series, Running Sucks. Is running the worst? Yeah. Do you love it? Do you hate it? I hate it so much. <laughs> I hate it so freaking much. That you're a real runner now! I hate it. <laughs> I'm Abby Ayers, a 37-year-old mom from Utah who found herself running across the Manhattan Bridge in my first race ever. Running Sucks celebrates women who run and the running communities that carry them across the finish line. Running helped me in so many ways postpartum. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. For every person like you, I'm telling you, you belong, and I'm telling you, you can do it. I never thought the words would leave my mouth, but yes, I'm planning on running a marathon. (laughs) I can't even say it without laughing, because, like, who would have thought? Watch Running Sucks at runningsuckstheseries.com and learn more about how Team Milk is helping women runners across the country conquer their next course. back with Sam Richardson. So that it all builds to um, a confrontation at a museum uh, at a museum gala where she invites yes. your character uh, as a guest and you wear a tuxedo. Tim, you think this is all worth it? Do you think she really likes me? No, man. I think she thinks you're a freaking prostitute. Yeah, but I really, really like her. And you know, maybe if I keep this up long enough, she'll discover that she really, really likes me too. Like and she's all that. Exactly like and she's all that. <laughs> I have a delivery from Councilwoman Gwinnett for Sam Duvet. 
Councilwoman Gonette would like to see you at the charity event tonight at the Detroit Institute of Arts. She'd like you to wear this. Tim, a tuxedo, a charity event, a museum? Mm. Tim, tonight might be the night. You did it. You she's all that at her. You sure did. Pro? Does he have an ad in the paper? Because I do. That's my husband. Husband? Yes. You're married? Sam, would you keep your voice down? I will not keep my voice down. Okay, Sam, you need to pull it together. Man, what am I to you? A man that I pay for sex. Yeah, but when we met, didn't you feel a connection? No, not really. You were at the Jefferson Hotel, you were holding a single rose. That's a signal for a honey boy open for business. So that's all I am to you, huh? Just some honey boy. Huh? That's all I am? Just some big dick for money, huh? That it? Just a veiny wang with a knot at the end and two huge pendulum balls? Is that all I am, huh? Yeah, just a, a guy with a Joe Lewis fist in his pants and a freshly bleached butthole you can eat off of? Mwah! Mamma mia! Is that it? Well, Rachel, this huge honking pecker is attached to a body. And that body has a heart, and a soul, and a brain, and arms, feet, neck, and, 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 and... Sam? Yeah, no, I lost the thread there. What was it? And just a huge pecker. So this scene feels like it captures so much of your career. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But before we get into the bigger implications, uh, just tell me about sort of writing it and shooting it and sort of like what your hope for your hope was getting into it, which I should also know this is like truly like, and I think you should leave sketch that is in the yes. Middle. yes, it's like it very a small thing is. and you immediately are like that. Like it's borderline. <laughs> I think she says, I think you should leave. I, see, I think she does say it. I think she does say it, which goes to say it's true. I never even realized that. But that's like such a, a moment of us because like it's characters who fly off the handle too much in 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 and not in proportion to the situation. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the, the natural response of somebody else is like, get out, like remove yourself from the situation, you know? So, but they refuse. So in this, like, so we film this scene, it's what we want, what I wanted to do was, was be able to film something at the DIA, the Detroit Institute of mm. Arts, which is like one of the nicest museums in the world. Uh, and one of the most iconic pieces is the Diego Rivera mm. uh, mural. Uh, so, you know, our hope was to be able to film this there and then like kind of work this scene out. And like my, then my joke and my challenge to myself was like, how do, or to, to ourselves was how do we do like the most inappropriate thing in this sacred place and not, uh, not defile the place itself, mm -hmm. you know? So it's still about me and like me shaming myself, but against this backdrop of like some of the finest uh, art 
that's and culture. So that is I was wondering. That's why you kept on cutting back and forth from the painting. Exactly, because it goes to the painting. So, you, so, it, so it's the as every face it cuts to is them disapproving of what I'm doing mm, and being ashamed yeah. of what we're doing, of what, what I'm doing. Uh, and so, funny story. I go go into film that scene, uh, and I'm like, do a couple takes. And uh, turns out my cousin is working there as a docent. Sure. <laughs> and she's like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's like, oh, hey, Amber, we're just uh, f- filming the, my, my con- oh, you know, my, my, my show got picked up. <laughs> so, and so I'm there screaming uh, about, <laughs> about my balls and uh, mm-hmm. my, my perfectly bleached butthole you could eat off of, mwah, mama mia. <laughs> um, <laughs> So that was definitely like a grounding in that instance. I was like, uh, all right. So I, I am at home. I'm not just like in on location. I'm yeah. I'm in the place where I grew up and my family lives here. Uh but it was one of the but but for the joke itself, for for the scene itself, yeah. it was that where we where it wants to be like a moment that he is sort of he's he's built his whole like like in in his head, he's built a story where this is going to be like the moment, like like this pretty woman moment. But we don't say yeah. pretty woman; we say she's all that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, he shows up, and like he's going to get the everything's going to work out fine. And then when, like, when faced with this idea that that's not it, yeah. and he he then like kind of makes a spectacle because like he caught in in the scene you can see like I I go from like saying something then like consciously speak louder you yeah. know i make it a a, a, a scene i, I like yes. start screaming uh and i just wanted to like have the fun to like have like a moment like that where i'm just like uh <laughs> like just trying to describe my penis in as many many ways as i can uh but like also heighten it to a way where i'm trying to convince myself that mm-hmm. this is what it looks like because like i'm saying it so many times that like I, i've made the point already but now I'm, <laughs> I'm just really trying. And of course, at the end, I'm also like, did I mention I've got a big dick? <laughs> you know. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, there's that that um, you know, it's a real portrait of masculinity. I mean, like, yes. it's just sort of like, it's it's like he built this lie up that he was wrestling with instead of just sort of acknowledging the reality, and then like it you know, builds to this moment where then he has to confront it all at once and his way of dealing with it is as immaturely as possible while mm-hmm. also talking about how, like, great it at sexy is. Like, it's sort of... Exactly. Exactly that. Like, he's, like, having, like, a, like, bratty t- temper tantrum while being like, and you know I'm Christian. You know my dick is so big. <laughs> exactly. And it's, like, the most of adult situations and scenarios. It's a gala mm-hmm. with... You know, city council people and, and Congress people and like everybody's wearing tuxedos and like fine dresses. And like it's the most childish sort of thing he could be having a temper tantrum about and like really what he's focusing on. Because like that's not to say that like he's making a joke about like having a big dick because he has a small one or a big mm-hmm. one. But it's yeah. just a thing that he's focused on. Yes. You know, it's the worst thing he could be talking about, you know. Did you guys uh, brainstorm a lot of ways for him describing it? Were there a lot, and then you edited it down? How did you, how did you land on the ones that you had? Uh, I, I, I constantly, I, I, that's kind of what I just kind of came up with in the room. The first, mm-hmm. like, and like it just kind of like fit pretty well, you know. Uh, yeah. Maybe a few different passes, but uh, and if I recall. Uh, there were just a few moments where we were just like improvised takes in those yeah. things, you know, like I think, I, I don't think we had on page like Joe Lewis's fist. 
but <laughs> you know, like that's just in the moment, like it seemed right. Yes, yeah, sure, of course. <laughs> um, there's a scene towards the end of the new movie you're in, uh, Werewolves Within. It yes. feels like the exact same energy. <laughs> yes, which is but like a completely different. Scene. <laughs> but there's like there's what ultimately it's like you insist on like your way of looking at the world, which is like you you're like you're insisting upon your kindness. And I want to talk about that. Yes. And I, um, yes. first on a personal level, and then we'll talk about a common level. By by all accounts, you seem really nice in your real life. <laughs> ha- has that been difficult? Like, is being kind? Do you feel like it is a thing that you've had to wrestle with, better for worse? You know, dealing with this cruel, cruel world. Um, I think it's a little bit of both, right? Because uh, I think people sometimes mistake kindness for guilelessness. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and. Uh, and uh, there's also like a, a sort of balance of being nice, but not being taken advantage of. And I am I, I'm infinitely patient. And therefore, sometimes people take that to mean that you can walk all over mm-hmm. me or you can take advantage of me or you can like insult me to my face. And I, I think Dave Mandel put it very well when he was talking about me once where he said, Sam is so nice, but I watch him straighten his back when he needs to. Cause I will, I like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I can, I, like, like I can make, I can be friends with anybody, but I'll also scream at anybody if I need to. Yeah. I, but I, I've never, I, I, I say that I can, but I really very rarely have I ever screamed at anyone. Cause I feel like a stern word is more, meaningful and powerful than mm. a screamed, you know, uh, monologue, yeah. you know? Um, so not like that, what your character did in this scene. <laughs> yeah. Not like what my character did in, in that scene. No. Uh, but there is a, a sort of like, uh, balance of like, tr- of, of being nice and courteous and, uh, thoughtful and empathetic Mm-hmm. that is frustratingly uh, looked down upon or taken advantage of. And in business, in this business, you, not not always in this business, but a lot in this business, that sort of thing happens where somebody thinks because you're nice that they then have you, you know, at their uh, disposal or there, you know, they can then kind of cast you aside and like kind of deal with everything else. But I, I, I have, I have a, uh, I have a lot of patience, but then I can get to a point where I'm, yeah. I'm very much like, all right, look, uh, I, I am not, oh, there, there, there's a, there's a difference I think between somebody who is nice because they're timid and afraid of everything and someone who is nice because they are choosing to be, you know what I mean? If some if somebody somebody who is who has power and doesn't use that power, uh, or or or, or is is conscious of how they use that, mm. versus somebody who is powerless and then is begging for for, for you know, and, I, and that's not to say that I am I'm a very powerful man <laughs> who's strong and un, un, and fearless, but I truly. Uh, I do have a confidence uh, to myself that, you know, I choose to be nice in this yeah. world. You know, because I feel that's the better way because empathy dictates or empathy shows that why not have everybody be comfortable than just yourself? 
it, you know, it's and I think what is so interesting is you have because you've clearly thought about it. You have you you look at your roles, a variety of roles, and they're sort of a nuance to the way you portray niceness. Like I think you know, I've in some interviews I can would see people like bring up the idea of being typecast or typecast as a nice guy or whatever. And I feel like it's rooted mm-hmm. in a certain bias that's like anti-heroes are interesting because they're dark and complicated and niceness mm-hmm. is simple. But I feel like when you watch <laughs> exactly. your work, there's like a, a range. Do you, do you feel, does that make sense? I absolutely, I, 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 I try and like, I think about it a lot. The, the sort of the, the, the layers of niceness, which are all often, overlook just to be like people think nice versus the complicatedness of 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 like evil and and mean and and that like you know oh, how how many villains and anti-heroes those are the interesting ones but like no each side like even like it's looking at at, at at the idea of the yin and the yang right mm. that th- there's you know uh or or like the, the scale of like chaotic evil chaotic good all these things all of those exist within the realm so it's i think it's foolish to only assume one side is interesting you know because like even in the nicest character there can be like a darkness inside them they're they're trying to fight Mm -hmm. like or or you know that there there is a a person who is doing bad things but doesn't mean to and it's trying to be it's trying to be good they're like there's there's so much to it that i think uh it's it's uh in vogue to to only focus on the bad guys right now and the bad nice guys but i think that time i think we all only have so much capacity for yeah. it especially after watching a, uh, a president for four years who's like chaotic evil <laughs> you know uh we don't need that in our world yeah what you know as you're are are does it inspire you do you like oh i have an opportunity here to like show that range like when you're approaching project you do you don't see it as like everyone's an opportunity to show a different side of it. Like, do you feel like it, it just even like, I mean, especially if you think considering promising young woman where you're like specifically subverting certain parts of it. Like, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't feel like I'm in the, I, of course, like I want to be conscious of myself in the macro view of like how other people interpret some things mm. because like sometimes I'm looking at reviews of werewolves within or like hearing things like, Oh, it's the same as Richard Splett. I'm like, no, he's very different. And if yeah. you think that Richard Splett is the same as Finn Wheeler, then I, there's something else that you're seeing there. And maybe it's the color of my skin and the mm. fact that he's nice, but then like, I don't think you can objectively review things, even though it's subje- subjective. Yeah. yeah. Then you like, if that's, if that's where you're coming from, then I don't, I, I have a hard time trusting anything else you say after that moment you know yeah but uh uh but it, it is to say that they're both kind characters you know what i mean yes. but like it, but same as the joker is as evil as you know what i mean uh the guy who cuts you off in this uh, yeah uh, at the stoplight or whatever yes. um uh but sort of like the 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 roles that i try and take i do find that there's still a deep well to 
sort of characters who are nice because like also those characters who are nice it's also about connecting to people and that's like what is fun to do in scenes that's why i think i play Mm. very well as like in as best friends in shows you know what i mean because i like to find connections Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, 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 and be that romantic things, or in like best friends shows and stuff like that. Because I like to find the tandem energies that exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say that I don't want to play uh, evil bad guy. Because I mean, as much as I just said, like, it's there's fun. There's fun to being like I'm nasty and like wearing a, a top hat dimmed over your face and like twirling a cane around in, in a cape. That's that's also fun. I will I will not say that's not fun. And I do want to do that. I'll say one different incarnation is in Tomorrow War, um, there's, I don't know how to say this scene. There's a scene and this will maybe spoil part of it, but I don't think it will because, so there's this Tomorrow War and your character is in it and he's nice and he's sweet. And ultimately part of the premise of the Tomorrow War is that it's like fought by civilians because there's Mm -hmm. a Tomorrow War. You don't need to know what the Tomorrow War is. Um, And there's a scene sort of midway through where your character is there, um, and I don't, we'll explain why, but he's like, um, Chris Pratt's sort of surprised that you like, you're alive, let's say. I think that's probably mm-hmm. enough. And then you have this, <laughs> it's like the most imp- amazing scene I've ever seen. The acting of that moment. I don't even know what to say. It just really was like, this is, this is like, you know, it's a big movie with all these aliens and stuff. And then like, yeah, the well of just sort of you being a, what it would be like if a, a character that you can play had to be in a tomorrow war. Oh yeah. They, they, oh, you're talking about like right after when, when, yeah. uh, yeah, that, that sort of thing. Cause like, like that is it. Like characters like that, they are, they wear their emotions on the outside and they're empathic, you know? So he went through this thing and he absorbed, he like, heard a lot like i'm trying not to spoil either but like the things that he witnessed i'm sure traumatized him you know what i mean and like imagine like an empathic person who goes to like a war and then sort of like a war against something that's not human and like an automatically lost war that person's changed yeah you know people go to war and they change and so like to kind of bring that sort of thing to this character and have him survive by a means or whatever, or maybe, or maybe not survive, no spoilers or whatever. But uh, I thought that was like a great, like little moment and opportunity to kind of play uh, and uh, a humbleness, mm. you know, uh, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. That yeah, I, sort of, yeah. you can just imagine that like, like it, it makes him real more yeah. so than you would see or than you, than you would assume from just some scenes. Yeah, yeah. If that makes sense. So the the other part of it is you mentioned the yin and yang when um when Detroiters was on the air, I wrote a piece about Detroiters and this other Comedy Central show corporate and described it as sort of like a battle between comedy's light side and dark side. And not like you guys were pitted against each other, just sort of defining certain sort of comedic We were a little bit, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I'm fair. I, I did assume that, but I didn't want to project that. Um <laughs> Yeah. And I feel like the dark side is like defined by cynicism and like the light side, which you guys truly present is like silliness that I feel like is so deep in your comedy bones. I, I don't need to necessarily to defend it, but I do think like people are prone to take darker comedy more seriously for a lot of the reasons we describe. You know, what is it about, you know, doing a, a 
a less cynical, more silly, more joyful comedy that like speaks true to you and you feel is worthy? Um, well, I think that there's something that happens when you become like a, you go through adolescence where you think that cynicism mm. is being adult. You know what yeah. I mean? Like everybody gets to that phase where like, oh, well, I only, I only listen to like sad music and I wear it all black because that's actually, I'm an adult because there's sadness in the world. And because I've discovered sadness, I'm now more aware of the world than you are, who you stupid child who only likes, you know, the color yeah. uh, turquoise or whatever. But I think there is an important, I, I even, I, I, sh I, I fear using the word important when talking about comedy yeah. and stuff like that. But I feel that, like, for lack of a better word, there is a, a, an importance to mm. kind of positivity and sort of uh, uh, niceness and like and, and buoyancy and, and sort of like positive energy that is it's healing you know what i mean like yeah. we the people need to see that people there's nobody has the capacity to only absorb nothing but negative yeah. you know what i mean it affects us we we are what we take in and so if all we take in is just this bleak negative like thing then we will then put that out in the world as well yeah um yeah, it was, there was, um, oddly enough, right before we started, I was looking on Instagram and there's a um, exhibition in New York of this French sculptor named Nikki de Saint-Fallet. I don't, I didn't know who she was until reading this Instagram quote. And the timing was amazing, which is, so her, her quote was, I used to think there were, there was a need to provoke, to attack religion and the generals. And then I understood that there's nothing more shocking than joy. And I was like, that's, that's Sam. That's, I mean, I love this quote. I love this quote very much. That I, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Is especially during like you guys air during Trump, and then like every everyone's like comedy has to be serious, and if it's not, and it's like I think to, I think what I wrote in the piece, it's like it's not in denial, but to defy what is happening and still be joyous is powerful, regardless of important. But it's a powerful thing to be able to take in. Yes. Absolutely that. How did Detroit respond to being betrayed in this tone? You know, like you talked about how you had a desire to show it differently than how it had been betrayed, but also like you're making a comedy show and a comedy show of your specific sensibility. How, how did Detroit respond? And, and then regardless, what did you like about portraying Detroit through this perspective? Well, I think when the show first came on, well, first it was crazy. Is like the show premiered, and then we flew into Detroit to do a uh, a screening in Detroit, and literally getting off the plane. You know how there's the guys on the tarmac who have like the wheelchairs and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that guy was like, "Hey, Detroiters!" And I was <laughs> like, "Wow!" The very first step. It was it was like out of yeah. a movie. Really, the very first person in Detroit who saw me after Detroiters came out was excited to see me about Detroiters, you know? Yeah. And, uh, uh, and, and then, like, the online response was a little mixed from people from Detroit because I don't think they knew that we were from Detroit. Mm -hmm. So they were like, oh, well, what is this? You're trying to make yeah. Detroit silly. And they didn't realize, like, but then, like, the more people watched it, the more they're like, oh, this is just heart. 
You know what yeah. I mean? Like they're so used to the depiction of, of Detroit being tough guy city and it is a tough guy city. We, but we've seen that, you know, we've yeah. seen Detroit one, eight, seven, we've seen every other interpretation of Detroit being that we, our point was to, to show another facet of it, uh, Detroit, because like the Detroit also, it has drug dealers. Detroit has, you know, all this stuff, but also has my mom in it. It has my dad, my grandma, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like, so like all these things, it was, <laughs> It was important for us to kind of like have that energy to it. And, and like, even to this day, like people from Detroit are fans of it because oh, it's okay. like, we, we're all about representing. I and mean, we've always been about representing Detroit in, in conversation, in in, in, in on television, on all these things. So I was very happy for the positive response. Uh, in fact, to the point where I was even a little annoyed because sometimes people's reviews would be like, if you're not from Detroit, you won't get it. So don't watch it. I'm like, no, don't do that. You know, tell everybody to watch the show. Everybody has to watch the show. It's just for us. No one else. That's, you know, exactly. It's, I think it's like Detroit. It's like the same thing as before. It, it's there's a certain grounding, right? It's like, this is legitimate, but like that allows you guys to play, but it is very much rooted in Detroit. But, and, but as a person who's never been there, I was like, I think I understand that yes. this ginger ale is the ginger ale that they drink in Detroit. <laughs> exactly. Like there are late, we did layers of, of these things. There's, there's, there's a layer of just straight up a TV show. And yeah. there's a layer of it being like a, com- a comedy nerd show. Mm. And there's a layer of it being a Detroit centric show. And each one of these things, I think, can be for a different audience. Yeah. Of course, we want it to be, be, be for all audiences. But, you know, I think many people can get different things out of it. But I feel like because of the Detroit references and it, 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 people ignored the fact that there's like a whole bunch of jokes underneath that. And they're like laughing because like, oh, I know what Farmer Jack is. But like, we yeah. didn't just say Farmer Jack. We did an entire storyline. And it's like a, a universal thing. It's about, it's, it's about so much more than that. Yeah. So uh <laughs> that's I guess it, what it, I think what it goes back to is as we were saying like I said at the very beginning it's like the show like view it has this sort of like childlike view of Detroit that you had of just like this is an amazing place. Yes, true. <laughs> true, exactly. Rose-colored glasses, but but also but also not as dark shaded glasses as we usually see people yeah. put on it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it is I I I I, I have suspicions, but I should ask, is there any possibility of doing more another season I mean, of the show specifically? There's no like real sort of conversation happening. There's just just the hope that somewhere down the line it could happen. You know, we'd I, I'd love to. Tim would love yeah. to. Where, where does it where does you know, as you've done so many other things, you're, you're looking to do more things. Where does it live? with you like where does it live in your heart when you look at the career that you've done like what is what does detroiters represent well detroiters represents for me it's like some some of my proudest work because it's, it's a show i created that i started with my i had the opportunity to do with my best friend uh it is the most kind of except like in my voice that is directly in my voice mm-hmm. comedically you know so it's not Detroiters is not just my interpretation of comedy, but is my expression of comedy. Yeah, you know, so it holds a high place. Yeah. And and then now that it's like regarded, it, it's now starting to get like this appreciation. I'm now also like, oh, okay, good. <laughs> I'm not wrong. <laughs> I, I things I like comedically are good. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm beating the drum. I'm telling people. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, as as you're developing more, like, in so much as it, this is, there's a certain amount of like a pure distillation of a lot of your voice. Um, as you develop things, do you feel like it's you are some things continuing in this specific voice, or do you feel like you're adding to it? You know, as you um, think about movies or other projects, like, is ultimately like will people who see Detroit just like, oh, like, totally, I get it. It's like a similar type of thing. Um, I don't, I don't think directly. I think there'll be, I, I think there's no denying sort of like what the timber of my voice will be going mm -hmm. forward, you know, but it won't always be in the same language as Detroiters. Got it. You know, uh, unless, uh, you know, I, I, or I said, but however, I, I don't want to make it feel like, I don't have the option to do that because it's not like I'm graduating from Detroiters. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I've got, I feel Detroiters is, I, I am incredibly proud of it. And I, I, Tim and I will go back and watch Detroiters and just be like, Oh man, I'm proud of this. Like I'm very happy about it, you know? Um, but you know, I, I, I do want to make sure that I am, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, that, you know, you know, I've got, I've got many mm -hmm. different, like, tones of comedy that i appreciate and like and like like to perform so you know i'll expand that as i go i often don't hear comedians talk about rewatching themselves what episodes do you rewatch when you go if you're to rewatch an episode <laughs> today what episode would you watch uh if i was to rewatch an episode today it might be probably like duvet family reunion maybe yep <laughs> i i it's fun it's it's, it's Watching the show, like, it, it's, it does sound kind of crazy to say that, but, like, it's like looking at a yearbook, you know what I mean? Or, like, looking at family photos. I can go back and, like, kind of just, like, remember all the things that we did, and, like, all the jokes and things that didn't get in and things that did or, like, kind of, like, fights we had to have to, like, sort of make this thing work or make it or whatever. Uh, Jones, uh, uh, Jones Family Reunion. That's, that's, that's my family reunion. Yeah. Jones Family. Yeah. My, my, my grandmother, my father's side, like, this is Jones. And so, like, so much of that, those t-shirts, that's, like, a real Detroit thing. I mean, that's a, I'm sure that's a family reunion t-shirts yeah. or a cross-the-board thing. But, like, that, that, that sort of, like, look of that shirt and, like, being on Belle Isle, that is just, we, it was just, like, what my family did, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, yeah. <laughs> I was re-watching it. And I mean, I think it's, it's my favorite episode, but I forgot the part where Tim opens and he's like, I brought the plates. And then Chrissy's like, no one cares about the plates. And then immediately people are like, oh, the plates are here. Hey, yeah. <laughs> yeah <you know? laughs> it's so good. Like, our, our little fight between. <laughs> oh, that was another thing, too. That's another real thing where like I was like a little nervous about introducing my girlfriend to Tim because mm -hmm. I was like, I didn't want Tim to like explode or like be mean to like, like, not mean but like tim like kind of like letting go of like me being around all the time so that's where that came from yeah <laughs> it's a really yeah, yeah. A toxic relationship we have i'm realizing <laughs> yeah. does does working on the show help you process your relationship like was it cathartic uh i mean yes <laughs> yes uh but also it just kind of like helps us like highlight like oh yeah we do love each other this much don't we <laughs> It's great. <laughs> so now it's time for our final segment. It's called the the laughing round. It's like a lightning round, but because uh, this is comedy, uh, I call it a laughing round. 
Oh, okay. Yes, of course. <laughs> Do you have a favorite joke joke, like a street joke or a dad joke or a knock-knock joke, or the joke that comes to your head when I ask that question? There's, there's like a go-to that I always like just think of automatically. So weird, but it's like, uh, it's so short. It's a guy who walks into a bar and says, ouch. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's one of the yeah, greats. I love it. It's one of the uh, greats. It's, my it's one of the greats. Do you have a favorite uh, real Detroit local commercial and a favorite commercial you guys made up? Uh, hmm, okay. Real favorite Detroit local commercial would have been the Detroit Zoo commercial, which was a bunch of animals sort of like getting ready to go on stage. But it was like a, it was a clip of the animals in Detroit Zoo. It was like, my lines, my lines. I can't remember my lines. It's like, it's if you're from Detroit and you remember like it's like early mid 90s that was that was one of my favorites in fact probably before that but that's when mm. I like it was on the most uh, my favorite like Detroiters commercial that we filmed uh might have been the sexy specs commercial um or, or sorry it's not sex sexy specs is the real thing these were hunky specs uh because it's like just this guy dancing around and then he danced in the <laughs> and the police come and like beat him up. And like he he he's like, but I'm white. And I'm like, I'm very proud of that. Cause he's like, he just can't believe. <laughs> and they use it in the commercial. <laughs> that might that may, that one might be my favorite. <laughs> this is this might be my favorite joke of the series. I'm just gonna ask you about it, which is it was an episode yeah. that you have the writing credit for, but um so essentially, one of Chrissy's friends dies, and Tim finds himself volunteering to help the widower out around the house. And mm -hmm. essentially, the widower goes like, my wife used to make me sandwiches. Now she's sandwiches for sandwiches worms. Sandwiches for worms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember when that <laughs> happened? I do. I do. When we were, uh, I, so I, in the, in the writer's room, that was me. I was I was like improvising those lines a lot, and I was doing the voice. So it was like, and, and so like it was just like whatever. Like, yeah, my wife used to do that for me. My wife used to make me sandwiches. Now she sandwiches for worms. <laughs> and like it was, we were just like kind of like laugh at the idea of this guy. So like casting that was so hard because you know like when you sometimes you have a such a voice in your mind so specifically. Mm -hmm. And like, and of course, like it's my, it's me doing it. So like, how unfair to like try and find somebody to be me, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But as an old man, but it worked out. It was great. And I, and, and I can't. Oh, I'm trying to remember the guy's name who played it. But he not he nailed it. Oh, it was so, so terrific. But I I remember all those jokes and all those oh bits. My God. <laughs> it was so good. Congratulations. That rules. No, thank you. Thank um, you. Do you have a favorite or least favorite story of bombing? Of bombing, uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> we were doing a show uh, at Second City on the main stage, but they would do these corporate buyouts where like a company would like rent out the show for their holiday party or whatever. And those would always be the worst because they were always so incredibly disrespectful because mm. they would just be in there and they'd just be talking and like all this and all that. And I was doing the show and I was just getting so annoyed and that like these guys were just like talking in the front row and they like, so stopped what I was doing. And they just like start talking to the guy. I'm like, what are you doing, man? Like what, like what, why? All right. And then I almost get to the point where he was like, you want to fight? And I was like, 
I think I do. And I was like, <laughs> so I, le- I left though. So I was like, I, I didn't know. There's, there's like legends of like tales of the old second city where like Bill Murray gets in a fight mm-hmm. with a guy backstage and like he breaks his arm and all that. And I was like, it's not going to work out for me. I will. I guarantee I, w- I will win that fight. But I will also go to jail and be yeah. in jail for a long time. It's not going to be romantic. It'll be yeah. nasty, you know. <laughs> um, do you have a, a short story of an interaction with a legendary comedian, living or dead? Um, so I, <laughs> my my friend had a short in like this director's program at like the director at the film academy in mm-hmm. L.A. Uh, so I went to see it, and Sidney Poitier's daughter had a a a, uh, a short in that one as well. But I was like very poor, and so like they were like moon noodles. So I ate them. I fucking housed these noodles. It's like noodles, 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 noodles. So I, I was eating noodles, and then I got on the elevator, and then Sydney Poitier was in there, and I was like, and I never say anything to celebrities, but I was like, let me tell him how much I appreciate his mm-hmm. work. And so I was like, raw, raw, raw. and he <laughs> said he looked at me, and just like looked forward again, and I was like. That was terrible. <laughs> and that was the end of it. <laughs> oh, that's your Sydney my, Poitier story. That's my Sydney Poitier story. He's my favorite actor in all of history. He's somebody <laughs> who like, like I like tried to like, at least, not, not that I am a Sydney Poitier type at all, but I try to at least imbue some of that mm-hmm. sort of like confidence and energy into myself as a person. And that was a terrible moment in my life. <laughs> um, and then, and lastly, can you, Quickly sing the Devereaux Wigs uh, jingle. <laughs> Ooh, Devereaux. <laughs> From Rhonda Devereaux. <laughs> Dietrich Furs. That was another great commercial that we loved. <laughs> that I loved. It's a woman riding on a horse <laughs> in a fur coat. <laughs> but trying to work out the idea of like how she would pull the wig up. And then the execution of it worked out perfectly. Mm-hmm. But like it used to be in, in, in the original thing, it was that she would do like this yeah, and smile, but it was like too silly. So she had to like do it, but like do it sexy. And it worked out. <laughs> I'm happy with that. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. This is oh. the best time of my entire life. <laughs> oh my God. Thank you. <laughs> it's a great time. Thank you for having me. That's it for another episode of Good One. You can watch both seasons of Detroiters on Paramount+. Plus. You can watch The Tomorrow War on Prime Video, I Think You Should Leave on Netflix, and Werewolves Within on VOD. Follow Sam on Twitter at Sam Richardson, and on Instagram at The Sam Richardson. Good One is produced by myself, Jelani Carter, and Camila Salazar. Gotham Shrikashin did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, five stars please. Email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at goodonepodcast. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. Good One is a production of Vulture and the Vox Media Podcast Network. We'll be back next Thursday with Rory Scoble. Have a good one. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running, and that's not the case. Most runners hate running, <laughs> but they choose to do it. In the new docu-series Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon, taking place in Savannah, Georgia, on November 16, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.